0: Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at MarksDailyApple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at PrimalBlueprint.com.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have a Malibu local, actually, a fan favorite of the Primal Blueprint family, and the incredible author of our new book that we've published called The Accidental Paleo, which is hilarious because I feel like a lot of people accidentally come across this, and and we have a story for that. Um, Lauren Lobley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm laughing because before we went on the show, so you and your husband own a yoga studio, and I was taking your husband's yoga class before I even met Mark in Malibu, and then I met Mark, accidentally became paleo, didn't even, <laughs> didn't never kind of plan on that. And then I remember sort of try. I gave a couple books to your husband cause I knew he was like an endurance athlete. And I was like, hey, you should look into this. But he was like, whatever. And then later on he became accidental <laughs> paleo because of high insulin on a test. And we had him on our show talking about hit as an endurance athlete what it meant to switch over a paradigm instead of sugaring up before long runs and trying to run more on a fat paradigm so that was interesting and now you've come along and your story's great because this one is great for vegetarians or vegans in the audience or people who are kind of half in half out or just dabble a little bit with animal protein because you're accidentally not only paleo, and we'll talk about that, you are an amazing former uh, food chef to the stars as well. But let's talk about your story from when you decided to become a baker. I mean, that's a, you know, you knew you were getting into, that's like a risky endeavor, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Baking was the only real thing that was constant from my childhood. Like that's how I connected with my mother. I mean, we would you know, stand in the kitchen and make pancakes together on Sundays. And we'd make cupcakes. And um, we made her famous banana bread, which is still to this day, the one recipe I will not give out to anybody. I give all of my recipes out, but I will not give that one. And um, I never thought ever of becoming a baker professionally. That was never my goal. Uh, But after, so I worked with Lululemon for four years. And I write a little bit about this in the book, but I was promoted really quickly to manager. And when I was promoted, I was like, Oh, great. I'm the boss. Now you have to listen to me. Nope. Turns out. Nope. That's not how it works. That's not what makes a great leader. And I failed as a manager and, um, or was failing. And I took a trip to Los Angeles. I'm from Montreal originally. And I took a trip and I visited friends who had the food network on the whole time. And I was like, what, is this, um, what is this cooking from scratch thing? And she made a cake from scratch. And I was like, you know, you can just get a box cake and like put some oil, water and eggs. Right. And it tastes just as good. And she just kind of, she was very polite and, um, just kind of laughed it off. But after that trip, I was really inspired and I got all of Ina Garten, the barefoot Contessa, who was my the reason I got into cooking and baking in the first place, I got all of her cookbooks and I started cooking and baking. And I was cooking and baking so much food that I couldn't eat at all. My boyfriend at the time couldn't eat it all. So I started inviting my staff over for meals. And what happened was the staff and I started, like the staff became my friends and all of the barriers between us began to break down. I learned about what it meant to be an effective leader, which was to have, to be enrolled in your people and to have them be enrolled in you and to truly care and to lead by example, not because you are the boss. And so that's honestly, that that's how I got into it. And it, I resonated most toward baking in the beginning because I'd, you know, bake like a lemon yogurt cake or like a banana bread and, and bring it to the, to the store for everybody to, Devour. And then when I moved to Lululemon in LA, I did the same thing. I, you know, transformed relationships with food. That's how I did it. And so when I decided to leave Lululemon, the thing that made the most sense for me was to go to pastry school and become a pastry chef. This was pre healthy, Lauren. (laughs) (laughs)
1: clearly clearly. and you know now you've got to like write apology letters to all the lululemon staff like hey sorry (laughs) i gave you all this stuff definitely (laughs) no No, it's true and so tell us about that because after that you 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 know what hey you kicked ass as a pastry chef actually in this town so tell us a little bit about that experience that's still fun and exciting regardless of the fact that you might have been using a lot of gluten (laughs) at the time
2: oh my gosh absolutely i mean in pastry school i started to realize that uh, this is probably not going to be sustainable over time, uh, given the 10 pounds that I gained once I got into pastry school. <laughs> um, but I just kept going and I had, my goal was to open up a bakery. And once I got to LA, I um, I did some, some work for some celebrities here and there. And then I got a dream job with Def Goldman, who is the chef on Ace of Cakes on the food network. And now that was since not running, or at least now it's rerunning. It's not, um, there are no new seasons, but he's on a bunch of other stuff now, but it was just like, I was like a deer in the headlights and, um, just like in awe. And it was amazing. And I just started as a baker and worked up to head baker and worked there for, for a year and a half. And it was fabulous. It was a great experience to watch how they ran their bakery. And that's also where I decided that I was going to shift into vegan gluten-free baking.
1: Yeah. And at at what point, though, were you like, hmm, I need to find some other materials to make these things with? What was it physically that you were feeling like, this ain't working for me?
2: Right. It started in culinary school with the weight gain. And then it wasn't just weight gain, but it was like, brain fog. Um, I felt like there was a layer of film on the inside of my body. And I knew at that point that I like, you know, that little voice we all have when something starts to go awry, but you really want to just keep going in that direction. So we just like, ah, whatever, we ignore it. And we justify, well, bakeries are always going to exist. These things are always going to exist. So that's what I want to do. So I might as well just keep going. So I, that's what I did. And so it really was in the bakery that I started thinking about alternative ingredients. And I actually or in culinary school, sorry. And then I actually did start experimenting with, um, there's a, there's a, she actually has two books, baby cakes. NYC is a vegan gluten-free baking book and she's got two, uh, different cookbooks. And I started experimenting with her stuff and alternative flours, still refined sugar, but no more gluten, no more eggs, no more butter. And, That's when I started to make the shift.
1: And then, so you now, and you mentioned the book, like, I sometimes will eat a little fish or I'll sometimes eat eggs. So where was the journey? Were you full vegan or just doing vegan bakery items? But, you know, what what was your paradigm and where's that come from?
2: Um, You mean like in the bakery that I wanted to ultimately run?
1: No, I mean like in your personal life with the way that you ate, like at the time, were you fully vegan or were you just doing vegan baked items? I was Um, just
2: vegan baked items. I've never... I, I've never been fully vegan. I just, I am too much of a foodie, so I don't like to be that extreme and cut myself off from food experiences that I could have. You know, I, I stopped eating meat, uh, 2008 is when I started. I stopped red meat. And then I think like a year later, I stopped eating chicken. I never stopped fish until the last year, but only I'm not I just stopped eating it because I just stopped liking it. I just stopped liking the taste of it, but I go in and out of that. Even it depends on, you know, the recipe and who cooked it and how fresh it is and all that stuff. But, um, and then eggs I've always had in my life. Those have never really made a departure. Um, so that's your main staple then for, well, yes and no. Cause it, cause I'll go through phases where like, I won't have it, for like six months, not because I don't want to eat them, but just because I'm not feeling them. And then I'll go, I'll, I'll bring them back into my diet for a few months. So I'm really just constantly checking in with my body and listening to it when it's like, yeah, I want that. Uh, no, I don't want that anymore. Um, so yeah, so never fully 100% vegan, but definitely I went from this journey of like, Refined sugar, carnivore, ate whatever kind of meat it was. I did not discriminate. My grandmother was a dog, like <laughs> lots of sausages with questionable meats and all. Of that. <laughs> sure. And over the course of ten years, I shifted to where I am now, which is vegetarian paleo, mostly plant based, but not a hundred percent vegan. I just can't. Make that
1: leap, right? And what were some of the things when you started to change over? I'm, I'm sure you dropped some of the the pastry culinary school weight, but were there other things you noticed? Because you know, sometimes it's it's like until you get out of it, you look back and you go, "Oh wow, that thing's not gone anymore." But I didn't even know that that thing was a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, uh, I was wondering, like, what are some of the symptoms or things that you felt were different in your body physically after you moved and were in this direction for a while, where you'd kind of probably cleaned out. That last uh crappy cupcake or
2: whatever. Right. Sleep got better. Yeah. Um I didn't realize I wasn't sleeping well until I started sleeping well. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I now I mean I have a two year old. So this like I say this within reason of having a two year old who wakes me up, but for the most part I sleep much better. I sleep more more or less straight through and I wake up rested instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, I went to bed and was in bed for nine hours, but I feel like I was, slept maybe three hours. So that was big. Brain fog was another one, just not so cloudy anymore. And then the biggest thing for me, I always suffered from um, GI issues, gastrointestinal issues, lots of bloating, lots of stomach pain. And it was once I made the shift into like getting the refined stuff out of my diet and then still even now, like refining more and more that my, the congestion in my gut is almost gone. It's
1: kind of amazing, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it, it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm a slim fit. So it totally, like, I can vouch for that. <laughs> right? Like It's harder when you're slim to talk, to people about these digestive health issues that you have that really do. I mean, I would be doubled over in pain just like if I had a sip of, I don't know, a milkshake or, you know, some like a food that was just too complex, too many things, too many flavors, too many whatever. And I would be doubled over in pain and my stomach would grow like four inches. But, you know, when you're thin, it's harder to talk about because it's harder to see. It's really something that you can feel internally. It's like that that residue that I felt in culinary school that was like internally all over my organs. That's how it feels with, with gastrointestinal stuff. Like I just could feel this block.
1: In my gut. Yeah, it's amazing too. You know, Mark talks about it and mentioned it recently on a show here he's interviewed where, you know, when IBS ran his life, and he was still eating grains, he said, you know, if he had to make it from like Malibu to Hollywood, he would have to probably figure out what gas stations had a bathroom along the way for fear that he might have some kind of gastrointestinal blowout. And then, you know, quit grains for a month, and it was like a new story. And then other things uh, resolved that he didn't think were a result of it. So, I you know, I think you would agree with me and impart upon everyone, this is a worthwhile experiment regardless. No one's sentencing anyone to even a life free of grains, although clearly that would be better for you as a human. But at the end of the day, it's really worth trying out because the bloating thing is really a a tough thing because it's – I understand what you mean by almost instantly, like the hours after consuming something that does that. I I will sometimes like it's like a distended stomach and you feel it's just so uncomfortable. And that's not right, you know, and if you're out there and you're feeling that, or you have a ton of gas, like there is something wrong. That's like not normal for people. (laughs) It shouldn't be happening. But you know, we're so either used to it or feel like, oh, well, this is just me and how my body works. And it's just so worth the biohacking with the food. And I mean, lucky for you, you have such a great background in, in chefery and, you know, culinary school so that you're able to be more experimental and share this with us because you know what cooking in general is hard. It's not about making paleo food good. That's not what it's about. It's just about great healthy food and making it tasty and unique. And that's just hard regardless, even if you are using glutens and stuff. But a lot of that, I just found out, found out that one restaurant puts pancake mix in their scrambled eggs to make them fluffy and I'm sure taste great. But what the F are you doing? Just like really, a lot of tomfoolery and just really shady kind of stuff going on. But, you know, sure, I'm sure they do taste better for that moment. But wow, you know, the end result's not going to work out.
2: No, definitely not. And my husband, uh, Ted, who's been on the podcast a few episodes ago, he always says, we're all an experiment of one. And that's what I found with nutrition is you just have to try things on for size to see if it works for your body. It doesn't matter who says what. You have to try it for yourself and see how your body reacts. Absolutely. Right? Like if it reacts well, yay, you just cured yourself, or at least helped to, you know, decrease symptoms that were bothering you. And if it doesn't work, then you go on and try something else.
1: Yeah. And you know, I really want to highlight something you said earlier. You know, I love the idea that you're like, you know, I just wasn't vibing fish. So I didn't eat it. I just wasn't vibing that for a while. So I didn't people have to do more of that intuitive and you really only get intuitive when you clean it out and clean it up and then you can really start to get in tune with what you need and i've i've talked about that before where like you know some days i'm just craving like cucumbers just like crazy or, you know, I just go with what I crave. Or sometimes like you, I get turned off to red meat for a while. And then another time I'm eating elk. I mean, it's just, but I go with it. It's not just because I do eat mean fish that I'm going to force myself to eat animal protein if I don't want to. And there are days where I don't feel like eating animal protein. It's not often, but sometimes it's a little, sometimes I'm like, I just want salads all day. Like I need veggies and roughage. Like I just feel it. And that's what it's about, right? It's not about strict macros or calculating. You know what I mean? I know that can get certain people to a point if they're really lost in the beginning, but, um, and that's what I love about to your book in general is just being able to have fun and get more intuitive and be into this process of trying stuff out. Right. Yeah. Like, for example, in your book, I was telling you when I came across this recipe, I was like, oh yeah, you know, why don't I do that? Which was uh, Brazil nut Parmesan. Now that's such a vegan thing, right? But by the way, everybody amazing for thyroid because of the selenium. And also sometimes Parmesan bothers me. Sometimes real Parmesan is, which I love, but I also like a lot of the vegan food too, even though I'm not a vegan. And so you have so many great quick things like that where people can switch it up and and tell us about maybe a couple of quick ones that everyone can kind of wrap their head around and maybe even try tonight.
2: Sure. Well, definitely the Brazil nut parmesan. Um that is I forget it's like three or four ingredients you just put in your food processor and then you can just keep it in the fridge just like you would parmesan cheese and you can put it on top of anything. I put it in my salads. I'll put it on top of, you know, a sweet potato or broccoli or whatever. So it can add a different flavor to something that may become like a staple for you that you're kind of sick of. So that's a great one. Um, you can also swap out the nut to use a different nut if you want, because if you're like, Oh, I want to make that, but I don't have Brazil nuts in the house. Okay. What do you have in the house? Walnuts, do it with walnuts, pecans, do it with pecans, you know, like do it with what you've got on hand, You don't have to make it complicated. And then the other thing, I have a toddler, so I don't have a lot of time in the kitchen, so I have to get creative, and it has to be fast. So I have a few different pesto recipes. There's a beet sunflower seed pesto, there's a spirulina pesto, and there's a basic pesto recipe in the book that's dairy-free. And I make these pestos, and I separate them into two jars, and then I freeze them so that When I come home and I don't have any time, I can just pull the pesto out of the freezer and I can create a dish using the pesto. So what can you do with that? You can have roasted vegetables and put pesto on top of the vegetables to change it up. Um, If you, uh, you could do like a spaghetti squash with uh, pesto on top. There's a recipe for that in the book with uh, lentil meatballs. So um, those are really fast. And they're really great to have on hand to keep in the freezer to pull out for a gourmet meal. And then one thing I always love to show people is how to make their own nut butters. If you're not already doing this, stop everything, get a food processor, go get your favorite nut and make nut butter because it's so easy. All you have to do is roast nuts, put them in the food processor, press on and walk away and you'll come back and you have butter.
1: Like it's so easy. So easy. Yeah. My friend makes even coconut butter and... Yeah. It's, it's such an easy, quick thing. And like I said, I love that to have the pestos and the different flavors around in the fridge so that you can just throw it and look, you can throw in a piece of salmon or vegetables, whatever, but you're switching it up and it's a great flavor and so good not to have, to have dairy free when normally those kind of things are made with dairy. They're made with Parmesan and, um, that can really stuff me up.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm always looking for those little tips and tricks to make life easier And, and as you said before, too, the thing about the recipes in this book is yes, they're vegetarian and it doesn't mean that you have to be. So for example, you were saying like on the days that I don't want to eat meat, that's what this book is for, to give you ideas for what you can eat on the days when you don't want to have meat. But also you can manipulate the recipes if you're like, I'm really craving chicken Okay, we'll put chicken in one of the recipes that that are in the book, you know, like there's a
1: They're all bases, yeah, for to add on if you need to. And also, how about just side dishes and having that around anyway? I mean, it, being paleo and even keto, I mean, you know, you want to consume a lot of vegetables, so I love that they are all uh workable. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Tell us a little bit too. I mean, even though we've had Ted on the show, uh Your husband, great yoga class. You own a great yoga studio with him. And you also do retreats and go to Machu Picchu like Mm -hmm. every year. I think you guys have been, what, eight times now or something? I don't think
2: that many. We've been to Peru. Ted started the company 15, 20 years ago before I was in the picture. Um, And I think the first retreat was to Costa Rica. It was surfing and yoga in Costa Rica. And since then, they've been to Machu Picchu. Um, Africa, they're going back to Africa in June, uh, Italy, Chamonix, France, and there's an annual retreat to Jackson hole with our friend, Tony Horton every year. I think we did, this was the sixth year. Uh, there are mammoth retreats sometimes to mammoth lakes, um, up North and, Ted and I will do retreats together sometimes too, where we'll, we'll be hired out privately to, um, lead a hiking yoga cooking retreat where I'll provide all of the food. I'll even do a cooking demo, uh, for anybody who wants to learn how to cook the way I do. So we have different, um, different levels, I guess you would say of retreats. I'm not cooking on the ones in Machu Picchu and Costa Rica. (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't dare. I, I mean, no way. No. I mean, that's, you want to experience the local food of the places you're at. So if the, if the retreats are local in California, I'll usually, uh, provide the food for it, but otherwise it's just like, let's put the emphasis on the local delicious cuisine and do hiking and yoga and cycling and kayaking and whatever else you're going to do on the retreat
1: right and i will put all that in the show notes and then i want to talk about your youtube channel but for those interested it's five and that's the number five pointyoga.com if you want to look at what kind of retreats they have running let's talk about where we can find you and connect with you uh you have an increasingly popular youtube channel and i just would love to hear all of the ways that people out there who are interested in connecting with you and learning more from you can stop in and and see it uh, for my YouTube
2: channel, uh, the username there is Lauren Lobley and I've got my goodness, I must have almost a hundred, if not over a hundred cooking videos up on there. Uh, and I always find that useful for people because especially, you know, like I wasn't a chef, my thing, like I said earlier, it was like, let's make a cake from a box. Um, and it was also when I was in university is to get those, um, I don't know if this is just a Canadian thing, but they were called Lipton sidekicks. And it was like, basically like dehydrated rice and spices. And you just like added water. And that was my way of cooking. (laughs) That's that's. And then I'd get this imitation crab meat and I was like, Oh dinner. That's great. I didn't know how to cook. So I started this cooking channel about five years ago to teach people like me, that they could do it, that it is accessible, that it's approachable. And I just find a visual aid is very helpful. So that's where you can go to YouTube. And the username is Lauren Lobley to check out my cooking videos.
1: Excellent. And we can find your book, your wonderful recipe book, the accidental paleo on amazon.com Barnes and Noble stores, probably tons of elsewhere online as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So Amazon Barnes and Noble in Canada at Indigo. And then there's a local store, uh, chain of stores here called Burrow that carries it. And there, I love those stores. They're so great. It's dangerous <laughs> to walk into.
1: So dangerous. I, every time I go in there, I buy something because they have the most hilarious cards and really funny, awesome, hilarious gifts and great stuff. Yeah,
2: I know. I love it. And then there's a, there's, um, there's a store in Jackson Hole, uh, the main bookstore in the main village, carries the book as well. So it, it's really easy to get. And then we carry it at the studio as well. But if you're if you're not local, just go on to Amazon or Barnes and
1: Noble, and you can get a copy. Are you still doing videos on a regular basis and adding them to your YouTube channel? I absolutely am. I'm constantly um, <laughs> recipe
2: testing. I'm already working on cookbook number two because I just have so many um, you know, so many ideas and recipes that are coming together. So I post pretty consistently every other week. Sometimes when I'm feeling really inspired and I have time, um, which means my toddler is giving me the time. (laughs) Um, I'll do it every week, but definitely every other week, you'll find a new video.
1: Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our audience with? Just that,
2: even if you don't consider yourself a chef, even if you don't consider yourself a vegetarian, whatever you consider yourself to be, the recipes in this book are really accessible and you are a chef and you can create whatever you want to create and use these recipes either as is or as a base to create whatever it is that your inner chef wants to make.
1: I love it. That sounds great. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren Lobley, The Accidental Paleo, and we will have all of the links to connect with Lauren on social media, et cetera, in the show notes. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind, we're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life, it's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead, this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy, stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events, such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right. Phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.